the S&P 500 is supposed to have 500 stocks in it. It has 503 stocks in it, but they didn't change the name. I just thought that would be important for everyone to know oh. as absolutely useless data that you can use to sound intelligent. So they should probably call it the S&P 503? Yes. It would confuse everyone to no end. Why? Why are they... If they lose one of the stocks, they could call it the S&P 502? Right. And if they add more... Well, why would they add more? It's supposed to be the top 500. Because they did. Um, so uh, just letting you know that the S&P 500 is made up of 503 stocks. That's why they named it the S&P 500. Uh, but it's not always made up of 503 <laughs> That is stocks. correct. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with our English debt. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach, starring Jake and Jeff McClure. Together, we will offer you insight, drama, confusion, befuddlement. It'll be fun. We'll, we'll do this together. Nobody's going to know what's going on because this show is ded dedicated to economics. Uh, to some extent, we will talk about um, ecosystems uh, when it comes to war and fighting. We'll talk about ecosystems, which is a name I made up the other day by accident. And I think it sounds so good that I'm going to keep using it. But before we get started on the ecosystem of Russia or, or the ecosystem of China, uh, we will need to tell you some things about ourselves. We have to open up a little bit here at the beginning, which is a much better way of saying it than disclose. I mean, it's, you, you don't unopen a door. So we're going to open up a little bit. Um, first, open up, otherwise known as disclosure, is that we are bald, we enjoy puns, and we have beards. The two of us are father and son, and we will lead, leave it up to you to determine which is which, but I'll give you a hint. Jeff is older than Jake. Mm -hmm. You may have all the information you need to make that judgment. Uh, the next layer of this is that this is the personal wealth coach. Wait, that's redundant. I said that at the beginning of the episode. But the personal wealth coach is not just the name of the program. It's also the name of an investment advisory firm registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission. We're required to tell you that so that if we say something stupid, right? Scratch that. We will Wait say many, we many say stupid things. things. Stupid a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, if we say things fraudulent, misleading, or lie related, uh, you know who to report us to. Uh, stupid is as stupid does, um, which should tell you something. I don't know what it would mean. Anyway, uh, just because the firm is registered with the SEC doesn't mean that the SEC believes that the firm has some kind of a halo uh, that has the firm has some ability to walk on water or perform any other forms of miracle. It's, they're just the regulatory authority. They don't give attaboys good jobs, pats on backs, or anything like that, except to people that are reporting crimes. They can give very large monetary compensation and attaboys in those cases. Um, we don't fall in that category. So they don't approve or disapprove, and this mes message will self-destruct at some point in the future as the digital recording of it decays. I don't know when that will occur, but everything self-destructs at some point. 
So, must be highly secretive. Uh, let's see, what else? Um, we're not paying for this program. Oh, no. I know. You're listening to a radio program on AM radio on a Saturday morning, and it's not paid commercial programming. How is that possible? Well, because we're decrepit. Our program started in 1997, way before they latched onto the idea of selling miracle cures on Saturday morning to pay the budget. So I don't know how we've maintained because they don't pay us, maybe, but we're not paying them. So they're probably losing some money in our time slot. You guys are listening. We have advertisements. So, um, but it's not paid. We do advertise on the station for this program and we pay for that. Uh, we have a discounted rate to pay for it, but we're paying for it. Uh, they also advertise for this program on their station studio. And so on. Uh, you have a disclosure for us. And this is, ladies and gentlemen, prepare. Oh boy. This one is amazing. Go ahead. Oh, boy. All right. The information we present on this educational radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable. But we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said statements. Awesome. That was fantastic. Information. And information. information. Yes. Yeah. Or unsaid. Yes. Um, and the, that I, I skipped one of our disclosures. Um we're registered to give advice at a fiduciary level. We're doing a radio program on which we can't give advice. Well, why not? Well, there's privacy issues. We have to know who we're talking to. A good piece of advice to one person could be a really bad piece of advice to another. How could that be? People say, and I get this a lot when I'm walking around, they find out I'm, I'm an economist or I'm in the market somehow. What's a good stock to buy? What's my, what's the best investment I should be in? It's like going to an optometrist and saying, what's the best glasses prescription? I need that one. What's the one that works the best? Um, it's, it's not one size fits all, unfortunately. I wish it were. It would make glass bu glasses buying a lot easier. It would certainly make portfolio management easier. Tax returns would be simple as could be. Everybody would know what everything... No, that's just not how it works. So we can't give advice on the air. And that was my excuse. And I'm sticking to it. So what are we doing instead? Well, he just said it. Hopefully we're giving you some education in the middle of the befuddlement and confusion that we provide free of charge. So what happened in the market this week? There was something happened in the market this week? I suppose something happened in the market this week. Most things are marked in the market. So I would guess that some well, marking you, took place. If you very carefully checked the price of the S&P 500 uh, at the per share. It, no, wait, the, it, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Is that how the index is run? It doesn't have a price or have a, a share. It does. It's index price funds per share. do. The, the, index, it, the index itself, when it posts a price, it's actually a price per share of the index, except that you can't own the shares of the index. You can't actually buy uh, it. So it's an imaginary imaginary. An imaginary share, right? Which makes as much sense as the rest of economics. Which so go ahead. Is never, they've never split them, so they've just risen in value and fallen in value as individual shares over the many, many years. Um, well, it ended, if, if you very carefully checked, you at the end of last week and then you checked at the end of this week, you would have seen fall 16 hundredths of 1%, which is very unimpressive. Now, during the week, there was a lot of drama as it went up and down. It went up to over 4,500, 4,500. 4510, which would have put it way up there. And then it ended the week at 4450.32, uh, down 1600s of 
Um, but if you step back a little further, which is what we encourage people to do, uh, it's about twice, it remains at about twice the value it had back in March of 2020, long, long ago during the pandemic when there was a lot of discussion about the fact that the we were entering into a depression. And well, it's not a fact, but the theory is that we were entering into a depression, we'd have a horrible recession and the market was going to fall 50%, which it didn't. Um, it's about 24% higher than it was last October. October 12th. Uh, it's 16% up this year. It's 35% higher than it was three years ago, but it's also 7% lower than it was at the beginning of 2022. I mean, that's pretty much what we've been saying for some time, and that's just pretty much where the market is. It's what's called a trading range. It seesaws up and down, but doesn't really go anywhere because there's really no big news that is likely to move the market at this point. Um, earnings for the last quarter are pretty much all in. They were about 90% of them were above estimates, which is why the market market is higher than it was at the beginning of the year. Um, there's a lot of discussion about what's going to happen in the third quarter, and there are people who are still insistent that we're entering into a recession momentarily, although we'll get into that later. Um, the people who track these things very carefully are saying we should have some astonishingly good earnings uh, in, in, in GDP results for the third quarter. Anyway, so the other the other index that we track, the CRSB U.S. Mid-Cap Value Index, which operates very differently than the S&P 500, even though the companies that are in the Mid-Cap Value Index are almost all in the S&P 500, uh, it's at 2349, up up 0.18%. It's up about half a percent this year, but down about 10% from its all-time high in early 2022. For those of you who don't know what why we quote both of them. Um, the S&P 500 is largely driven by relatively few large, very large growth-oriented companies that are priced based on what investors think their growth will be in earnings in the future, whereas mid-cap is not, by definition, uh, it is, is a mid-sized company, which is small on the S&P 500. And those stocks are and they're also based on the value of their underlying assets. Right, right. And just to make this more confusing, I'm going to throw out some useless trivia, but uh, you might enjoy it anyway. Useless trivia can be treasured. Um, the S&P 500 is supposed to have 500 stocks in it. It has 503 stocks in it, but they didn't change the name. I just thought that would be important for everyone to know oh. as absolutely useless data that you can use to sound intelligent. So they should probably call it the S&P 503. Yes. It would confuse everyone to no end. Why? Why and are they if they lose one of the stocks they could call it the S&P 502? Right. And if they add more, well why would they add more? It's supposed to be the top 500 because they did. Um mm -hmm. so uh just letting you know that the S&P 500 is made up of 503 stocks. That's why they named it the S&P 500. Uh But it's not always made up of 503. <laughs> that is stocks. correct. Uh most it's, of the time it's 500. Right. And the S&P 500 is as you said it's called it's something called capitally weighted which means the biggest companies have a much bigger effect on the index when they move the whole index moves and the smallest company on or the 503rd company in the list if it dropped in price by half or tripled in price it would barely budge the index at all you'd have to look out at the thousandth decimal place to see a movement in in the S&P 503 so all right, so back to you for whatever reason, uh, we have, we we look at the Dow Jones Industrial Average and the S and P five hundred as the indicators of where the market are. By the way, they very commonly go in different directions in a given week. The S and P five hundred is the most representative of the indices 
that are widely reported. So that's why we go with it. And why do we the, use the word indices instead of indexes? I mean, it sounds fancy. That's really it. That's though, I think. actually was the old-fashioned plural of index. Yes. Uh, I think you should report all the market in the old-fashioned way in 30 seconds and in 16ths and bits. And, um, uh, no. It'll, it'll make us sound really sophisticated and nobody will understand us. It'll be amazing. Well, I'm not sure that anyone understands this. Anyway, <laughs> I don't the, understand the other, the other side of the market, the bond market, uh, has a benchmark, and it's called the 10-year U.S. Treasury note yield. It inched up the tiniest three one-hundredths of 1% to 4.33%. And there was much used- rejoicing. That, I mean, there was the... the- Wait, did you, how many decimal points out was that was the move for the week? Three one hundredths of one percent. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. Go ahead. It was 4.30 last week and it's 4.33 this week. This <gasps> week. Okay. That's well, staggering. We're, we've gotten kind of used to that. We've gotten kind of used to, in just a couple of months ago, if it crossed four percent, that was, that was big news. So interest rates are definitely up. Now, not only are they up, uh, if we go back to 2022, which is the beginning of 2022, which is when the stock market was hitting its record highs that is still 7 to 10% below, uh, the yield on the, on the 10 year treasury note was 1.77%. If you had a CD at the bank, obviously it didn't go out to 10 years, you were maybe getting a quarter percent or half a percent. Um, in other words, just a short time ago, uh, less than well, it, it's it it is obviously we're all the way out in uh, 2023. We're three quarters of the way through 2023. Um, but a year and three quarters ago, interest rates were in the one to two percent range. Now the uh, the interest on the ten uh, year Treasury note is four point three three, and the interest on less than one year maturities of treasuries, uh, if you annualize them out, is around 5.5%. So you could go to a uh, money market fund, uh, a treasury money market fund, which was considered to be very conservative in the past, and get above, typically above 5% yield, the seven-day SEC yield. We're in a very, very different environment. And, and this is a very unusual situation because historically, this is the fastest by by almost any way you want to measure this is the fastest and most that the SEC and not the SEC but the F the Federal Reserve has ever raised interest rates yeah and yet and then if you happen to be holding a bond fund uh, you will have seen the pain uh, you will have seen how much the the share price has dropped in a bond fund or if you hold a bond and you look at the secondary trading on the market just a real quick input at this at the yield curve area you're talking about this interest rates yield curve is the longer you loan money the higher the interest rate you want on that and the shorter you learn aren't loan money to somebody the lower interest rate you usually want on that or or get on that um and when that's reversed where you get less interest for loaning money for long term than short term it means you don't loan as much long term money why would you why don't you just loan it short term and get a higher interest rate that's not good for the growth in the economy it means banks don't want to give loans to businesses as much so it's it tends to slow things down it's an old school way of looking at when a recession might be coming it's also an indicator of when the federal reserve is selling a lot of bonds in a way that this indicator never measured before. The good news here, 
that we've been inverted backwards, upside down. The short-term stuff is paying a lot more interest than the long-term stuff. That's backwards. Not supposed to be like that. We've been that way since July of 2022. So more than a year, we've been in an inverted situation, which is bad. And it's led to a lot of people yelling, hey, recession's coming, because it's been an indicator of recessions in the past. This month, if we're looking at those numbers, the shorter term rates from below one year down have barely budged. They're still high. They're still much higher than the long-term rates. But the long-term rates are up about a fifth of a percent kind of across the board. This is something that we have been saying was going to be happening. And I'm just taking a moment to wrench my shoulder out of socket, pat myself on the back for predicting something that most people don't understand and care less about. But we did it! (laughs) The long-term rates are moving upward. The 30-year position was 4.29 at the beginning of the month. It's 4.42 now. Um, where the one month, much, much higher rate, 5.51, is still 5.51. Hasn't moved at all. Where the longer term rates have kind of universally moved up about a fifth of a decimal point or a fifth of a yeah, of a, of a percentage. Uh, so what does that mean? It means mortgage rates are probably going to rise for a little bit more. That And this is stuff we've been talking about. The trend is actually happening now. The longer term rates are going to be moving upward for a while. They're still going to be drifting upward because low long term rates are high. And in order to be competitive, people on the long term side have to pay higher interest if they're getting a loan. It's just supply and demand. If the short-term stuff is going to pay you more, then why would you give a long-term loan? Um, Anyway, so that is the yield curve is still inverted, but it's slowly starting to, to recover from the inversion. It's got a ways to go, a ways to go before it's in a healthy state, but it's slowly happening. There you go. That was my end of my silly conversation about how Curving graphs are bad for economies, except the uh, so the the yield curve, as, as Jake is was saying, is still quite inverted, which normally says we're about to have a re- recession and has been warning of a recession for some time. But it's uh, kind of like chicken little, I guess, thinking the sky is falling. It's not been a very accurate warning as the economy continues to accelerate. Um, the other thing we look at, of course, is West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil, otherwise affectionately known as WTI. It rose another 4.4% any of the week at $91.12, which is well above its normal trading range. Uh, why is it going up? Well, a couple of things. One, um, in Saudi Arabia and Russia, they've announced that they're restricting their output to try to raise the price of oil, and it seems to be working. Uh, secondly, the United States economy is accelerating. And since we're the biggest user of oil in the world, uh, we constitute a demand. And when demand rises and supply is stationary, prices go up. So get ready for some higher prices at the oil pump. Although they haven't really soared to where they were like last year when they were $5. But according to the American Automobile Association, the gasoline, regular gasoline across the United States is averaging $3.86 a gallon. So uh, that's kind of what's going on in the markets. And there's some indicators there and there's some really weird things going on there. And it is certainly not what we normally see. All right. So that was the market. We've been covering a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, this this week. One of the things that we were just talking about is the difference in immigration now versus 20 years ago. Um, we had uh, 
a lot of illegal immigration 20 years ago, mostly in line with jobs that we wanted to give them at restaurants and at hotels and at uh, construction work sites. And we've talked about this in the past, but I think it's kind of important to bring back up. During the global financial crisis, that reversed. We had about 11 and a half million illegal immigrants. And that's an estimate that's compiled by a lot of different places and they sort of all came close. But you got to give or take about a million people. It's an estimate. It's hard to track people that don't want you to track them. I know, it's weird. That's the reality. So there's somewhere around 11 and a half million people in 2006 in the United States illegally. Uh, A big chunk of them were employed. About 8 million of them were employed doing things. Okay. So there's families involved when you think about that as as a totality of the illegal immigrant population. The unemployment rate was extremely low if you could apply it. To the illegals, extremely low, because the families were the, the were the most of the people that weren't working, uh, and this is something that we recognize when we look back at history. There's this always this threat that they're here, they're mooching off the system, and there are people that are doing this. This is the illegal population. We lost about seven million of them during the global financial crisis. They left. It, it was a great migration out. Uh, of the United States and immigration rather than immigration. These people left. Why did they leave? Well, because they didn't have jobs here anymore. We weren't building houses. We cut back on hotel spending and on uh, restaurant spending at the same time that we started cracking down at the border. You can't come here unless you've got some legal document that says you can be here. So we effectively lost a lot of our workforce, a workforce that's hard to track, but it's there. And something that we said at the time is that this is going to cause the price of house per square foot to go up, period. No way around it. It's going to cause the price of a hotel room to go up, period. No way around it. It's going to cause the price at a restaurant to go up, period. No way around it. And then we held our hats and contemplated eating it, uh, our hats, for a number of years after that. Because there were so many other factors that kept prices down that we didn't see that going on. We were just making fewer houses. House prices did go up. Uh, People were eating less at restaurants. Still, prices went up. Then we had this sudden demand for houses during the pandemic. And then after the pandemic, a a great demand for restaurants. And we didn't have the cooks and the dishwashers that we used to have. So prices went up. And we can see that in all these numbers everywhere. Well, now we're not getting the same kind of illegal immigrant population that is here waiting at Home Depot to do work. There's some amount of that. But that demographic shift has been relatively permanent. The people that were here illegally were mostly from Mexico before the the global financial crisis. Now the illegal immigrant population is coming from failed Latin American states where they are being killed by warlords and taken prisoner and used as slave labor. It's really bad stuff, and they're coming as refugees. It's a different part of our immigration code, and technically, they're not illegal immigrants. They're refugees. We have a part of our law that says these aren't illegal. They may come across the border illegal, but as soon as they say we're refugees, they fall under a different category. Well, there was a big debate in the early 21st century in Congress about 
what do we do about illegal immigrations? We should fix the law. That's what everybody was saying. Let's fix the law. Let's get it fixed. And then the Republicans said, well, before we fix the law, let's just enforce the law. We're not enforcing the law, period. We need to enforce the law. So we went cranked hard into enforcing the law. And even the Biden administration is cranking hard on enforcing that law. I know this is weird, but the Biden administration is pro-union, anti-immigration for a completely different reason than the Republicans are anti-immigration. Different reasons, same want. So the Biden administration's continuing to crack down on illegal immigration, but the laws on the books say refugees fall under a different status. They're not coming in and filling the jobs the way they were before because they're not trained in building. They have different skills completely. We got to figure that out. We do have to fix the laws. I don't see that as a thing happening in the near future. We're too deadlocked on everything to approach this in any kind of a reasonable manner to say, who do we need as workers and unskilled jobs that we don't have to fill we don't have the people to fill here. That's So we're not likely to fix the immigration laws anytime soon. So that means that we have legal entry to what we would have considered illegal aliens before and no great benefit for them being in our system beyond saving them from wherever they were. Eventually, hopefully, they become thriving members of our economy, but they're not coming in with the same skills. We got to fix it. We've got a lot of Venezuelan refugees coming into the United States because Venezuela is totally failed as a state. It has got no functional government, uh, the, and that's at the, that the, the local level as well as the national level. There's, it's just, it's chaos. It is, we have anarchy in a country in South America, and that's causing a lot of people to leave. And the people that leave to come to the United States are coming because they will die back there. And we can't say, well, you can't come here, we're going to put a wall up, because the wall is not as scary as what they're running from. It may have slowed down immigration that's just coming to work at construction sites because they can say, hey, I'll just get a job at a factory here on the border instead of going all the way across. But if you're fleeing people that will torture you to death, that wall's not going to stop them. In fact, it is, it is a representation of how safe it is on the other side. So these are behavioral issues that we can see in economics. There's some real issues that have to be covered there, and unfortunately, it isn't part of the national debate at this point. Neither is saving Social Security, neither is working on Medicare. These are some big issues that were so concentrated on much shorter-term issues that we're not addressing. Um, and do you have some stuff to wrap up for this week? I feel like I've been soliloquying over here. Um, the United States economy, despite all of the doomsayers except us, and I will pat us on the back at this point. <laughs> yeah. For the last year, we've been saying we don't see a recession coming. I've got a sling. We think we're doing really well. We think this is, looks like a recovery rather than a recession, and sure enough, it's happening. I'm using a uh, sling these days because I keep wrenching my shoulder yeah. and patting ourselves on the back. So go ahead. The market is probably fairly priced at this point, depending on what happens this quarter. If we get the kind of increase in earnings this quarter, I think we're likely to get. We could see a much higher market by the end of the year and moving forward. Uh, markets are always short-term and predictable, but it's looking better and better, so hang in there. Um, it, we actually are living in a Goldilocks economy right now. It's about as good as it gets. Uh, there's not much, what else can I say about it except the fact that we have very low inflation. We have very, if you want a job, it's easy to get a job. It's easy to get a good paying job. Uh, anywhere in almost any industry, people are looking for work, uh, looking for, looking for not looking for work, but looking for workers. Um, 
we have uh, an ample, we have relatively low debt in the United States right now, relatively high savings. It's about as good as it gets. Fantastic. Well, we're out of time. If you would like to talk to us off the air, we do give uh, custom fiduciary investment advice and portfolio management to people of relatively high net worth. Uh, the local number to call with voicemail during the weekend, real live people during the week is? It's 254-947-1111. Or 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. And you can sign up for our newsletter, read the newsletter. You can go through and read all long ways back. You can listen to our podcasts and our radio. You can email us directly at jeff or jake at tpwc.com.